Peace and love, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about true people's liberation movements and revolution. I want to start out the show by saying free the land, free all political prisoners from the United States to Palestine to all over the world. Once again, I want to say free the land and say very clearly, free, free Palestine. Palestine evermore in our hearts, ever present on our social media feeds. It has been a challenge to know what to say, to know what to do in this moment. Many of us are going to demonstrations, we are talking with our friends and family, we are posting on social media and things of this nature, but I feel that for a lot of us, including here, maybe speaking personally myself, it doesn't feel like enough, you know? And that is not to criticize or uh, negate any of the work, the serious work, the necessary work that is being done. But it is to say that the bombs are still dropping, that the 10,000 plus, I think it is at this point, who have passed, the calls for ceasefire and the way in which these different demands, as they've been called, have been championed, has not been effective in preventing what we know as the state of Israel in massacring the children, the women, the elderly, the disabled, from killing indiscriminately the masses of people who populate the strip known as Gaza called the world's largest open-air prison, a concentration camp. The most, if not, or excuse me, I should say, one of, if not the most, densely populated areas on the entire planet. These words, these speeches, as informative and important as they are, have not been bulletproof shield to the children of Gaza. All I'm saying is that there have been those who have come into this world, many of whom are still alive today, rotting away in prison, who had sacrificed their lives to show us what is necessary, what needs to be done. 
the names of Afeni Shakur, Safia Bukhari, Kathleen Cleaver, Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale, Kwame Toure, Fred Hampton, and many others come to mind. When thinking about this question of what needs to be done, the history of both the struggle for the liberation of Palestine from occupation and from genocide along with the struggle for African liberation here in the so-called United States in Africa in the Caribbean in Latin America and elsewhere along with the struggle for indigenous liberation all over the world are inherently connected along with the struggle for what we call workers' liberation for the liberation of all oppressed people. These struggles are connected both historically and today. We know that many from Malcolm X to Huey P. Newton all the way up to today with the different organizations around the world the different parties and collectives around the world who marched on Washington who marched in the Bay who marched in the city who are marching all over who are organizing support committees who are organizing to try to get aid in their struggle to help liberate the Palestinian people must be seen as not separate but a part of the whole to liberating ourselves here to seeing the liberation of indigenous peoples and to see an end to colonialism and imperialism because as we begin to understand the context of these historical battles as we begin to dive deeper into the documents and the actions and the ideologies of the groups involved in class struggle around the world we can see clearly that the picture albeit maybe of a different style 
to keep with the metaphor, a different art form, is art nonetheless. That is the art of oppression. You see, since the fall of early colonial empires through the turn of the 1900s in Europe, similarly to after the fall of other European empires, thinking here of Rome and Greece, And we see the necessity for the new rulers of the world, speaking here of the United States and its lackeys. There became a necessity for them to invent new tools, new tactics, to develop new strategies in order to oppress people in a way that did not lead to the consequences of earlier forms of colonialism. Meaning here, how do we oppress people in a way that doesn't lead them to revolution? From World War I on, the United States began to economically dominate the world stage through its banks, its loans coming from those banks called aid, and through production, as well as its control after the wars after the fall of the Soviet Union over resources and labor forces. The empire expanded and not only did it expand but it expanded speaking here post 48 after the creation of the United Nations, it expanded in a new world, in a new way, creating systems and structures, falsities, misinformation spreading, and propping up leadership, political, social, cultural and religious leaders, groups and organizations which were either directly on their payroll, directly of their own creation, speaking of nonprofits and non-government organizations, or were so intimidated or so confused by the struggles that revolutionaries around the world had waged that they allowed themselves speaking here of the liberals and the social democrats 
they allowed themselves to be captured by an ideology which is not theirs. They allowed themselves to be confused and indoctrinated into a way of thinking, a way of behaving, a way of existing, which runs contrary to their actual human needs. Look at the so-called reforms that came in the 90s and the early 2000s. Look at the rights, so-called rights, that have been revoked since the fall of the Soviet Union. And look at the way that poverty, discrimination, inequality, homelessness, drug addiction, suicide have all risen and continue rising. Because although this system looks different, It does not behave in its core interests any differently than those who came before it. The clearest example is Israel at this point. We hear the horror stories and we read them in the history books of slavery of indigenous genocide, of the world wars, of the early days of the wars in the West Asian region known as the so-called Middle East. We read something like one and a half to two million Iraqis killed. We read something like 90% of the Afghanistan people face starvation. We read about the millions who never even made it to the shores to be enslaved, who took their lives in their own hands. And we hear the stories of the brutality, the massacres, and the genocide committed against indigenous, African, Hawaiian, Puerto Rican, Filipino, and other peoples. We read these stories, and many of us are moved. Many of us are brought to tears. Many of us are emotional. But far less of us make the real, genuine connection that the same people who murdered millions, who enslaved millions, their children and their children's children 
and their children's children's children. All the way up to today, many of them, many of those families, many of those corporations, many of those nation states, many of those people groups have continued to oppress the world for 500 plus years. Another connection we don't make is that they have created, manipulated, and developed friendships and allies who can be called puppets or lackeys whose nations albeit in some occasions varying in pursuits or tactics or strategies have no independent action outside of the course of action already predetermined by the United States at one point this was true of Britain that the world did not truly act unless Britain basically sanctioned it the world was under such strict domination Britain through its colonization of Turtle Island and the Americas created the monster we now know as the United States. The United States and everything that it has done to the world was inherited, learned, and adapted to its situation through relations to Britain and old Europe and the empires of the European nations. So then we can conclusively say based on the evidence not only that is granted to us by observing U.S. and British history but also by viewing the world's history we can see clearly the goals, aspirations, tactics, methods, behaviors, practices, ideology, and overall interests of the ruling class, of the capitalists, of the bankers, of the militaries, the police, the states who observe and support and protect things like the right to private property over the right to life for human beings. And I don't want to get it confused. What I mean here is that people today who live on this earth, who are descendants 
of the old slave masters, of the early colonial stormtroopers, descendants of fascists, descendants of colonialists and imperialists. They have inherited the throne. And not only have they taken over from where their elders and their leaders and their friends had left off But more than that, they created and cultivated a system of their own with new forms, new variants, new degrees, new levels of exploitation, of brutality. Of poverty. The expansion of things like mass incarceration, police brutality, poverty, along with this degree of horrendous inhumanity that has been on display in Palestine by the settler colonial state known as Israel. We know that there is a war at hand. We do not mean necessarily and simplistically an intercapitalist or interimperialist war. What we mean is that there are now, I believe, more than ever before, sharply and distinctly segregated classes of people. The poor and the wealthy. But not just simply of income. Because when we speak solely of income, we get it confused. We make enemies of friends and friends of enemies. When we say wealthy and poor, this is a relationship of control. This is a relationship of power. Because when we look at the way that the world exists, When we look at the way that human beings exist and continue to do so, we understand that it takes certain production 
and reproduction of necessary goods. It takes labor to produce those things. And when we look at the core of how society functions, we can see that those who are in power, those who control the political systems, not just individual representatives who are elected, but who they really represent. That's not you and me. That's Amazon. That's Apple. That's ExxonMobil. That's uh, Monsanto. Those people up on these podiums. Bolstered. As somehow representative of the people's interests. Simply because they were voted for. If they were voted for. They, those so-called representatives, have helped orchestrate and create and develop a system which is inherently based on war. The United States, as it's called, in general, produces almost nothing other than oil. Surely it has production capabilities. Surely there are still things being produced. But when you look at India or Indonesia or China or Pakistan... These nations have become the offshoot, the offset for international capitalist production. These nations, through colonialism and imperialism, have been forced to turn their workers into nothing other than sweatshop workers, miners, and factory workers. They have been forced, along with nations like Japan and South Korea and others, to turn their nation's production into exports. To turn their own resources, their own labor forces, their own political, social, and cultural systems, their economic systems, their banks, their wealth, and their labor, which I'm sure I already said, I might be repeating myself here, they are forced to turn everything that is theirs over to the colonialists, over to the capitalist nations, over to the empires. And in doing so, they are forced to co-sign not only that generation, but generations afterwards. Because look at Haiti. Look at what the French did to Haiti. Look at how they have destroyed this nation. 
And look at how the United States and the United Nations have continued to occupy and oppress the Haitian people, just as the French did, but only in new ways. When we look at Palestine, we can see the war clear as day. But we must understand that this is not simply a war of Palestinians for their liberation against so-called Israelis. This is, as we have mentioned on the show before, a struggle for humanity. And we must see that at this moment, as we allow tens of thousands to die, we are co-signing our own deaths. We are co-signing the deaths of millions more. We are co-signing the deaths of those in the Congo. We are co-signing the death of those in Senegal and in Sierra Leone. We are co-signing the death of those in Azerbaijan and Armenia. We are co-signing the death of those in the Eastern European nations. We are co-signing the death of those in the Global South. The Global South and oppressed peoples who have suffered in a way that words cannot describe. That poetry, music, and art cannot capture in their totality. It is a struggle for all of these nations, for all of these people, because if what is happening in Palestine today is allowed to continue and nobody no government no party no people outside of the Palestinians and the Arab peoples alone are unwilling incapable or hesitate in doing what needs to be done to put a stop to this genocide then there is no one who can believe that they will ever stop that there will ever come a day where there has been enough death for the imperialists where there has been enough war where there has been enough wealth accumulated because we see that today as the earth and everything on it comes to the verge of extinction the war is clear
Tupac Shakur said in his 1991 interview, I don't care what you got to do, whether it's be a Muslim, whether it's be a Christian, whether it's be Jewish, or whether it's to be a freedom fighter. Whatever you got to do to be at war, do it. But you better be at war. And of course, I should say that was a paraphrase. But I think that today, as I read The War Before by Safia Bukhari, and I hear the stories of Geronimo Pratt, Bunchy Carter, Fenny Shakur, Asada Shakur, Matulu Shakur, Kamau Siddiqui, and others. As I hear the stories and see the horrors unfolding in Palestine, in the Congo, in Sudan, and elsewhere around the world, as I look and study and come to understand that war production and the economy that goes into it is ever expanding. The war becomes clearer. And my friends, during war, there are many, many people who struggle. But not all of them struggle the same. We know that not everyone in Palestine is carrying a gun. We know that not everyone in Palestine has the same ideas, has the same belief systems, has the same ideologies. And we know that the people of Palestine have chosen different paths, different pursuits, different strategies or tactics in the struggle. But we know that every single Palestinian is conscious and aware of their struggle, their part in it, and the role that they must play. This is the level of unity, understanding, cohesion, cooperation, and coordination that is needed to truly organize society in a different manner. But it's not as if all of the ideas, all of the beautiful and wonderful and incredible ideas that I'm sure thousands, if not millions, of Palestinian people have had to recreate society in a new, wonderful way have not been able to be implemented simply because they are colonized. They are oppressed. And therefore, by many, not only just their oppressors, they are seen as less than human, cannon fodder, religious extremists. They are seen as a people already dead, a people already in the history books and only in the history books. 
But the Palestinian people will make the history books. And we can count on that. Because they are not dying in silence and they are not to die in vain. We must understand our role in the struggle. We must settle our differences. We must build a unity that is alive and not ignorant. That is conscious of the situation and deals squarely with it. We must organize ourselves and build not only just a movement, but many movements, many organizations, parties, and fronts to put a stop to not only the occupation of Palestine, but oppression everywhere. And we must do so not simply by hating or despising or wanting to destroy something, but also having in mind how we are going to build anew, how we are going to develop anew, how will we become new people ourselves and along with others. The struggle today in Palestine continues and hundreds more have died. The question is, what are each of us willing to sacrifice to put a stop to death, not only in Palestine, but around the world? All power to the people. And actually, before I go, since I have a moment here, I want to say thank you to the fallen and captured soldiers of the Black Liberation Army, of the Black Panther Party, the Young Lords, the Brown Berets, the Puerto Rican Independence Party, and all others from the Cubans, to the Chinese, to the Vietnamese, to the Nicaraguans, the Venezuelans, the Iraqis, the Iranians, the Afghanis, all those along with the Palestinians who have struggled in their own nations, in their own homes, to really build something different. I can't put into words how much you mean to me each and every one of you and how much you have changed me without knowing me and without me knowing you and I regret every person who has passed in this struggle before I and others took the opportunity and the initiative to love them to show them compassion and kindness in a way that many of them have not felt in a very, very long time, if ever. It is our duty. It is our duty to make sure that these comrades, that these soldiers have not sacrificed what they have in vain. 
many, many have lost their lives fighting to build a better world for you and me. And so it breaks my heart deeply when I think about what those who are alive today have endured. I think in many cases, as terrible as it is to say, those who pass on are the lucky ones. They get to go on to some place or something else. When we look at someone like Matulu or someone like Mumia, or the Boricuas, the Hawaiians, the Filipinos, and others. Who still sit in jail cells today. Who have not seen family, friends, comrades. Felt another human being's touch through anything but a bully club. It is disastrous to imagine that we would leave them not only to suffer in these dungeons, in these concentration camps, but that we would leave them as the last generation to really struggle, to really fight. And to really lay it all on the line. I know many of us have aspirations, but the children of Gaza had aspirations too. The children of those who have struggled around the world. They have and had dreams too. So for the children who are alive today, who like us, who like those who have passed on, have dreams, have goals, have aspirations and hopes, have love in their heart, and a soul, and flesh and blood, That they need not suffer in the way that those who came before us and those of us alive today have had to. Let there be no political prisoners anymore other than the counter-revolutionaries and those who want to harm other people. Let there be no more dead except for those who oppress and exploit and colonize and enslave. Let there be no more suffering. 
except for those who have made the world suffer for generations. Let our hearts be pure and our minds clear. Let our actions be principled and our words be inspiring, not defeating. The only moment for a retreat, the only moment for defeatism is a tactical, strategic, and organizationally decided upon one. We cannot take on the defeatism as individuals. Otherwise, there's no hope. If we are not our own hope, if we do not believe that there can be a better world, then there never will be one. We not only have to believe, we must know it to be true, we must know how to get there, and we must know what we are willing to do and willing to sacrifice each and every one of us to get there. And we must know the names, the addresses, the ages, the situations, and the struggles of our comrades and soldiers within the walls of the concentration camps around the world, deep in the dungeons of the oppressors' cells. Our duty and our call cannot be given up. It is not something that we can give up. We know the consequences of those who have not struggled, who have not fought for a better world. It is the world we live in today. Let us not make our consequences for not struggling the consequences of the children who are alive today. All power to the people.